This morning's text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and uh, though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had, driven, uh, and had been driven by the demons to solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let, let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen, who, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over, all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, my name is Matt Ortiz. If you're new here and we haven't met yet, uh, it would be a huge favor to me if you would introduce yourself to me. I'd love to get to know you, and it's our desire that you feel welcome here, that you feel like you're part of the family, even though this might be your first Sunday here. Again, my name is Matt Ortiz, one of the pastors. We have several pastors here. Um, I end up doing uh, most of the preaching, and, and so I want to update you on, on what we are doing right now. Normally, we go through books of the Bible, but in between books, every now and then, we'll do a church live series where we take an issue or, or uh, something that, that, uh, that we feel like we need to address because it's timely for our church. Now, we've been in a series called Prepare for Spiritual Battle, and here's why. The, the truth is... We are constantly and always in a spiritual battle. You are constantly and always in a spiritual battle, whether you feel it right now or not. It doesn't change the reality that you are in a spiritual battle constantly. And there are times when you feel it more than others. And lately, as I've been talking to people in the church, uh, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that they are feeling... Um, especially oppressed by evil, especially manipulated by evil, especially discouraged by evil. 
And it manifests itself in different ways. Either deep, dark depression and hopelessness, or, or friendships being torn apart. Marriages, that's a favorite one of the evil one. He wants to undermine your marriage and make you think that the person who is most important to you in your life is your enemy. That's what the evil one does. And I've been hearing a lot of these stories, and um, it's not because, some people think it's because you must be doing something uh, wrong, you must be bad or whatever, but it doesn't matter. You look at the oppression that Jesus faced, and he was perfect, all right? No one gets a free pass on this. And we don't talk about it very much, but we need to. We've been talking about the reality of evil, and, and it's easy just to do maybe one or three sermons on a series like this, but since all of life is a spiritual battle, we've been camping out here for a while, and so if you're waiting for me to move on, I will soon, but we really need to take this seriously. We have to talk about the reality of evil, and, 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 and not only is it, is it just constant everyday thing, it's just common for people to be in denial about it. It's too overwhelming, right? Or, or they don't take evil seriously uh, because it's relegated to fictional blockbuster horror movies or Halloween costumes, right? Evil isn't really real. And so we drop our guard and we're not prepared when evil hits. So if you're not going through it right now and you're like, man, I, I mean, maybe if I was going through something, this would be helpful for me. I want to encourage you to hang in there, pay attention, because you're going to need this sooner or later. Evil is everywhere. Evil is close. Evil is global. Evil is local. We watch the news and we feel hopeless or numb. And if you dare to look, if you dare to look, you will see that there is, in fact, evil in our own hearts. I mean, you know that there are things in your heart that you hate, things that you hope no one will ever know. And this is true for everyone, and that evil manipulates you. It manipulates your perspective. It manipulates your decisions. It manipulates the way that you treat other people. More and more social commentators and thinkers are saying that not only does evil exist, it is intelligent and it is bent on destroying us. It's, destro it's bent on destroying you. It's bent on destroying your relationships, destroying your church, destroying everything good in your life. So it's easy to be filled with fear and hopelessness because we do not have the resources to stop evil. Our passage that we read this morning shows us that. We do not have what it takes to battle with evil. And, and there, the, the encouragement, though, that we see in the story is that there is one who does. There is one who can. There is one who has taken on evil. And the central theme of what we read is that King Jesus has absolute authority over evil. In fact, that's what the kingdom of God is all about, pushing back the evil in the world and replacing it with God's kingdom of grace. And you're all a part of that. You're all a part of an attack on evil. You've heard the phrase over and over again, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for, many out of, uh, for any amount of time, um, that God will build us, Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that the kingdom of God is on the offensive. 
And God's called you to be on the offensive against evil. So that's why we're camping out on this. From this story, we learn that the authority of Jesus over evil gives us three things. Let's look at them. If you're taking notes using the handout and the bulletin, the first one is this. The authority of Jesus over evil gives you hope. Now, when I say it gives you hope, I'm not saying it fills you with wishful thinking or it gives you kind of a Pollyanna optimism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about concrete hope. I'm talking a hope that's based on God's promises and God always keeps his promises. So let's look at that. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is in Galilee, uh, the northern, which is northern Israel on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's going from town to town sharing the good news of the kingdom. And he wants to go across the sea to a predominantly Gentile area. And it is an area that is just weighed down, bogged down by incredible tension. In fact, that area is still bogged down with incredible tension today. But Jesus moved with compassion, wants to bring them the good news of God's kingdom. And so he and his disciples set sail for a seven-mile trip across the sea. And then when Jesus steps ashore, he is immediately met by a demon-possessed man. This demon-possessed man lived in a graveyard. He hasn't worn clothes in years. The evil in him was so powerful that the townspeople chained him up and placed him under guard. And he broke the chains and overcame the guards and, and would run off. And it had been, the scriptures say, he had been like this for a long time. Now, if there was ever a hopeless case, it would be this guy, right? And when this demon-possessed man sees Jesus, this possessed man falls at Jesus' feet and he cries out. Jesus commands the evil spirits to come out, and they, they shriek. I mean, yelling at the top of their lungs, it says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, that title, son of the most high God, reveals that the demons know that they are in the presence of the one who has far more authority, far more power than they have. In fact, far more authority and power than the most evil one. And Jesus asked the evil spirits, what is your name? Having someone's name meant to possess a person. Legion, he replies, because many demons had gone into him. Now, if you don't know, a legion is a military division of anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 warriors, okay? And the demons, these, these demons, these four to 6,000, they, they beg Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into that herd of pigs. And Jesus allows it. The demons come out of the man, into the pigs. They drive the pigs over the steep bank into a lake and they're drowned. And this man, who is demon-possessed, the change in him was immediate. The change in him was dramatic. 
He was out of his mind and naked and wild, and now he is in his right mind, clothed and sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus. And the point, the point of all of this is that the authority of Jesus over evil gives you hope, gives you real hope, gives you concrete hope hope, gives you assurance. There are no hopeless cases. There are no hopeless situations. Amen? Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, okay, maybe I believe in evil, but a devil and demons, I mean, really? Well, look, I understand why you'd be skeptical. I I get it. I totally get it. I understand why you would think that way. And I just personally, I happen to believe it for a couple of reasons. First of all, because Jesus believed it. Second, because people that I know, down-to-earth people, just thoughtful people, have had encounters with them. But even if it's hard for you to accept this, I think that you could still benefit from this message. See, the Bible teaches that there is a continuum of good and evil, which is really a continuum of truth and lies. And and over here is extreme uh, evil, extreme falsehood, okay? Uh, A demon possession. And then over here is, is truth and goodness. And in between is a mix of truth and falsehood, good and evil. And it gets worse the closer you get to demonic oppression, to demonic influence, and then extreme demonic possession. Now, here's the thing. All of us live somewhere on this continuum. All of us to one degree or another, even if you're way over here, okay, all of us to one degree or another have bought into lies. Lies about God, lies about the world, lies about yourself. And those lies influence your mind, they influence your emotion, they influence your personalities, they influence your decisions, they influence the way that you treat other people. It influences your view of God, it influences your view of the world, it influences uh, you, your view of yourself. And you feel out of control. In other words, the, the more the lies take root in your mind and in your heart, the less control you are in, the more you realize you're not who you are supposed to be. You are not in your right mind. Or, on the other hand, if that's too difficult to accept, you point at everybody else and say, none of them are the way that they're supposed to be, right? See how destructive that is? And then you get oppressed by agitation and anxiety and depression and guilt and emptiness, substance abuse, impure thoughts, a critical spirit, and it gets all of us. It gets all of us. And then you begin to believe just one of the deadliest lies. And one of the deadliest lies is this. It's hopeless. Maybe no other lie will enslave you more than it's hopeless. This is totally hopeless. I mean, let me ask you this morning. I mean, evaluate your life, where you are right now, what you want that's not turning out the way that you want, something that's causing you a lot of pain, an area in your life where you feel like it is hopeless. Is is there anything that comes to mind right now? 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a habit that you're struggling with. Maybe it's your job situation. Maybe it's a physical condition or a mental condition. Or maybe you know someone that you have considered to be a hopeless case. You either have written them off or maybe you pray for them every now and then when you think about it, but you really don't expect much. Maybe it's somebody in your family, another loved one, somebody you work with, a neighbor. Maybe it's yourself. And you've bought into the lie that it's hopeless. I am here to tell you this morning on the authority of the word of God, that is a lie. Thank God, praise God, that's a lie. There are no hopeless cases. There are no hopeless situations. So that's the first thing we need to know. The authority of Jesus over evil gives you hope. Not a false optimism, not wishful thinking, but a sure hope. A concrete hope based on the promises of God. And let me tell you something. Christians should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Amen? They should be. Now let me ask you, does that describe you? Are you just filled with hope? (laughs) It's hard to be in a messed up world, isn't it? In fact, we almost embrace cynicism because it feels better. And then you become immobilized, apathetic, not on the offensive. (laughs) And you just get knocked around by the waves, the storms of life. So what do you do about it? We'll get there. The second thing we see is that the authority of Jesus over evil gives you courage. Real courage, okay? Courage to face whatever it is that you might face in this life, wherever you are, okay? Did you notice that when it said in verse 31, they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss, And what's the abyss? Well, it's kind of like prison for the devil and his demons, all right? A place where they can no longer harm God's creation, no longer harm God's people. They know that Jesus has effective authority over them. They know that their days are numbered. They know a day is coming when King Jesus will order them into the abyss. But they plead with him here saying, don't send us into the abyss now. Send us into the pig's Instead, and Jesus allows that. Now, I know this raises some questions. I know it raises some important questions. For example, maybe you've asked this recently, or maybe you've asked this for years. Why doesn't Jesus throw them all and all of the evil in our world into the abyss right now? Why not? What's he waiting for? And that's a good question. But that question can also eat a hole in your soul if you don't begin with the truth, all right? You have to begin with the truth. And the truth is this. Whether you can connect the dots or not, whether you can add it up or not, the truth is this. The truth is, is that God is in complete control and he is totally righteous and loving. 
Now, you might think that maybe he's loving, but he's not in control, or he's in control, but he's not loving, but you can't comprehend how he can be both. you got to start with the truth that he is both in control and that he is loving and righteous. And God's purpose is not to just end evil. God's purpose is to reverse evil in a way that turns the tables on evil and brings good out of evil. Joseph, like when he said to his brothers that sold him out, he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So we have a God who does not create the pride and the evil and the cruelty that you see in the world, but we see a God who arranges it and overwhelms it and overrules it so that all of the evil in this world destroys itself. We have a God that turns death into resurrection. A God who reverses evil to bring a better good than what would have been otherwise. And he asks you to trust him and to lean not on your own understanding. You're not going to completely understand all that God does or why he does it, but he has proved to you that he loves you. When Jesus died on the cross, for your sin, to give you new life. He proved it to you that the worst thing that ever happened in history, the murder of God the Son, became the most beautiful and victorious thing that ever happened in history. So if you ever have doubts about God and why, why isn't he ending the evil, just remember the cross. Say, I trust you, you proved it. You don't have to do anything else. <laughs> I submit to you and your authority and your wisdom. And there's relief in that. So here's what I want you to see now. Okay? I want you to see that deliverance from evil is both now and not yet. Okay? It is both now and not yet. And we see this in this passage. Jesus delivers the man from demons right now. And one day, Jesus will cast all evil into the abyss, but not yet. So salvation is now and not yet. This is a very important teaching. And I didn't make it up. I mean, theologians have been talking about this for a very long time. It's called the eschatological tension, okay? And, and to explain it, I, I like the illustration that it's, it's like a rope hanging over a pulley wheel, Right? And you're hanging high above the ground by holding on to each end of the rope. And one end of the rope that you're holding on is salvation now. And the other end of the rope that you're holding on is salvation is not yet. And if you're going to live in a world uh, where evil is still alive and well, it's important to firmly hold onto both ropes or you drop. Some Christians are now Christians, right? And then they let go of the now rope and they say, if you really believe, if you really had faith, you can be healed right now. And if you're not healed, it's because you refuse to believe. That has destroyed so many people and their faith. 
And, those, and, and, and people who, who uh, have been told that and, and have come to believe that, they either get mad at God for not living up to, their, to his part or mad at themselves for them not living up to their part. And they're hopeless all over again. Some Christians are not yet Christians. They let go of, of, of the now rope to cling to the not yet rope. And, and they're, they're kind of like Eeyore. And they say, why bother? Things are hopeless. We're just going to have to wait till Jesus comes back. And then maybe he'll fix everything. And you know what? That leads to a sub-Christian life with no joy, no enthusiasm, no hope. And they're not active in bringing change in the world. They're just waiting it out. Jesus wants us to be now, not yet, Christians. To hold on to both ends. See, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, uh, you know, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. So the kingdom is in your midst right now. And then he calls us to pray for the kingdom to come. Pray that, that, that because the kingdom is here, but not yet fully. And so we pray, Lord, heal this person right now. Turn the tables on evil right now. But even if you don't do it right now, we know a day is coming when you will. And the result is that the now not yet Christian has both right hope right now and courage to face whatever this messed up world will throw at you. Do you see how that works? So let me ask you. When you read the news or you watch it on TV, how do you respond? How do you respond to the steady stream of mass shootings? How, how, do, you, how do you respond to the, the countless counts of just gross injustice? And those are the things you just see on the news. How, how do you deal with the news when, when you read about or, or see, you know, children, you know, dying of hunger or abortion? How do you respond to all the news about all the world, uh, about all the war around the world? How do you respond to the genocide, to deadly diseases? I heard one pastor say many years ago, never read the newspaper without praying. See, the news will eat away your hope and fill you with anger and fear, or worse, make you numb to evil. So pray. And when you pray, pray as a now, not yet Christian. Lord, thank you. Thank you that one day you will put an end to all wars. You will put an end to hunger. You will put an end to suffering. And I ask that that coming day would invade this present day with such power that you would turn the tables on evil and, and bring good out of evil and bring glory to your name. I, I ask you to intervene now. That is not, that is now not yet Christianity. Gives you hope for today and the future, no matter what this messed up world throws at you. 
So that's the second thing. The authority of Jesus gives you real courage. And here's the last thing. The authority of Jesus over evil gives you purpose. Greater purpose than you could ever imagine. See, when the pig herders, they saw what happened, uh, they, these herders ran off and told all the people in the town, and then the rest of the town showed up to, to see for themselves. And when they got there, they saw this man who had been demon-possessed. Now he's dressed in his right mind. He's sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus. And, and they were filled with fear. So it says, Then all the people of the region, all the people of the region, asked Jesus to leave. You're not welcome here. So Jesus got in the boat and left. Now why were they so fearful? Some say it's because, you know, they lost uh, uh, money when all those pigs died, right? Well, I think it's more than that. Throughout the Gospels, you see so many times Jesus does a miracle and people are fill, filled with fear. Why? Because God has shown up. When God shows up, it turns your life upside down. Some people sit at his feet in quiet devotion. Other people say, you know what, Jesus, leave me alone. I don't want God messing with my life. It's better if you are far off. In fact, it's better that if you don't exist. You are not welcome here. Don't mess up my life. Now, here's the deal. Maybe you're on the fence about God, right? Whether to follow him or not, to follow Jesus or, or not. You've been wrestling with it for, uh, for a while. I want to encourage you to wrestle with it because the authority of Jesus does demand a response. And the truth is you cannot remain neutral when it comes to Jesus. You will either totally accept him or totally reject him. And you can't just say he was just some wise teacher and he, he taught some good principles uh, to live by. Because he claimed, but the truth is, he doesn't give you that option because of the claims that Jesus made. He claimed to be God, right? And so if Jesus is not who he says he is, then you need to come to a decision uh, that if Jesus is not who he said he is, you need to decide that Jesus, you need to write him off, write Jesus off, as a lunatic or a liar. Or come to grips with the fact that he is who he says he is. There is no in-between. He either is who he said he is, or you need to come to grips with that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic. There is no in-between. You cannot just go on with life as usual. You know, you can't say, even, even at best, maybe you can't even say that, that you'll put God over here in the spiritual corner of, of my life, but I don't want you messing with all the rest of my life over here. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is either Lord of all or not at all. Either you sit at his feet in devotion and turn your whole life over to him, or you tell Jesus to leave you alone. You cannot remain neutral to someone who says the things that Jesus has said. And if he is who he is, is, who he says he is, you cannot remain neutral to someone who has absolute authority. And the people here say, you gotta get out of here. So what's Jesus do? He heads for the boat. 
But the man whom Jesus delivered from the demons, when he saw Jesus leaving, he begged Jesus to take him with him. He says, please, let me go with you. But Jesus said, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to return home, and, and I want you to tell how much God has done for you. And then Luke writes, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now this right here, if you are a Christian, this right here is your purpose. This right here is your purpose. Go and tell people how much Jesus has done for you. Tell how Jesus has set you free. Tell and live out how Jesus has changed your life. That is how we join Jesus in overcoming evil with good, overcoming lies with truth. And we tell all that Jesus has done for us. Tell the good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth to do battle with evil and he calmed the storms and he healed the sick and he fed the hungry and he cast out demons and he raised the dead, but he primarily came to do battle on the cross. And there on the cross, he took on all the evil forces. There on the cross, the ultimate battle with evil was won for us. And how do you do that? On the cross, all of our sin, all of the evil things we have ever done, said or thought, all of it was placed on Christ as if he had done it. And, and then he absorbed the full force of the Father's wrath, the wrath of the abyss. Why? It was the only way God could destroy evil without destroying you. That's what the cross is all about. And when Jesus lay in the tomb, the demons partied. But on the third day, their dancing turned to doom when Jesus arose from the grave. And in doing so, he had broken the power of evil. And one day, Jesus will return to put an end to death and darkness forever. And you don't have to fear that evil will ever get a hold of you again. In the meantime, God uses you to push back evil, to push back the darkness. And how does he want you to do that? Go and tell all that Jesus has done for you. And then show them with your life. So let me ask you, let me ask you, what has Jesus done for you? How has God blessed you? How have you been blessed by God's grace in your life? You know, it's so critical to remember that, to reflect on that, to meditate on that. It adds perspective to what you're going through right now. Ultimately, that your name is written in the book of life. That builds up your faith. How has God's love and grace changed you? Uh, does anything come to mind? What has Jesus done for you? I mean, I want you to take the time to think about that. And I want you to thank God for that this morning. Because we forget. <laughs> Things go wrong and we forget. We forget. We have forgotten when we worry, we have forgotten when we're defensive, we have forgotten when we complain, we have forgotten if we're bored, we have forgotten when we're self-absorbed. 
and we're self-righteous. So what has Jesus done for you? See, as you reflect on that, ultimately that your name, that, that because of Jesus, your name is written in the book of life, I'm telling you, that makes the cross more real to you. It makes the gospel more powerful in your heart and life. This is what changes you into a person of joy, into a person of grace, into a purpose of, into a person of, of purpose and, and confidence and filled with hope. And then people will recognize that you're different and they're going to want to know why. And then you get to tell them. You're different than what you used to be because of Jesus. And here's how. You're different than maybe the other self-righteous Christians that they know. Because when you believe the gospel, <laughs> you don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not. They get to see somebody who's actually humble and repentant, goes to God for forgiveness. Somebody who doesn't think that they're better than you. That is a powerful, powerful testimony. And God uses your weakness to put God's strength on display, his glory on display, and he advances his kingdom through you, not only through your strengths, but also and especially through your weaknesses as you trust God, as, if you, as you live life of repentance and faith. people that God has placed in your life they need the gospel they need hope in a messed up world filled with evil they need to hear the good news from you my encouragement to you though is don't try to share the good news with them until you've preached the good news to yourself and reminded yourself how much you need God's grace and the gospel because that that's the only thing that will give you the hum humility you need to be able to share the good news in an effective way. The only way you're going to be humble is if you're confident in the gospel. And so that's how God changes the world and he wants to work in and through you. And God gets all the glory. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you bow your heads with me?